Private Lender Podcast, Episode 20. The Private Lender Podcast quote of the day comes to us from Jim Rohn, who said, Formal education will make you a living. Self-education will make you a fortune. This is the Private Lender Podcast, the show that shares practical advice and know-how for new and seasoned lenders, from private mortgages on single-family houses to joint ventures on commercial projects and beyond. Discover details about investment vehicles that you won't find at your local bank or online broker. Listen and learn from private lenders and real estate investors, as well as from professionals and entrepreneurs, as they share the details, strategies, and the insight that allows for successful and prosperous lending. Now, get ready to increase your ROI. Here's your host, Keith Baker. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Private Lender Podcast. I'm Keith Baker. I'm your host today. I'll be taking care of you. If I can get you some waters or some bread, just let me know to get things started. This is episode 20. One more in this podcast is legal to drink, so very excited about that. And I want to thank you for sharing your time with me today, because after all, time is our most precious commodity, our most precious asset, and I do appreciate you listening. So let's get into a couple of house cleaning items right now. Uh, first off, the private lending class that was gonna, I was going to teach at the Rich Club at the end of May has been pushed back until the end of June. So we've had uh, some scheduling conflicts arise, and I'm going to push it back a month. So go to privatelenderpodcast.com and richclub.org, and you'll find the, the new dates. Uh, we're going to settle that here, uh, finalize it in the next day or two, and then post those to the website. So if you were planning to go to the Rich Club on May 31st, please do not. Well, not for that class. You can go, but not for the class that I was going to teach on introduction to private money lending. So if you go to the Rich Club on the 31st of May, I will not be there, but feel free to go and get whatever education you can uh, while you're there because that's um, that's why that club, the community exists. Uh, networking and education, which are two very, very vital things, components to investing. So today, on today's episode, I interview Brant Phillips. Brant is a self-made man. He's going to tell you about it, how he kind of got into, started one career path, and now has ended up as a real estate investor, as a coach, an entrepreneur and businessman, and just all around one of the one of the better people, I think, in the real estate investing realm in the industry. Uh, he's just a, a good guy, and um, I'm honored to have him on today. But before we get into that, let's go ahead and thank our sponsor. The Private Lender Podcast is proudly sponsored by the following. The Realty Investment Community of Houston, or Rich Club, is the premier real estate association in Southeast Texas. The Rich Club provides its members with the education, resources, leads, and networking they need to earn more wealth with their real estate investments. The Rich Club has helped thousands of real estate investors realize their full potential, and they are ready to help you. Visit their website at richclub.org for more details. That's richclub.org. 713 Houston Area Real Estate Networking with Landon Rothstein and Ray Sasser. Come out and experience one of the fastest growing meetups of real estate investors. Visit privatelenderpodcast.com slash sponsors for more information regarding 713 Houston Area Real Estate Networking Meetup. And now, back to the show. All right, we're back. And I just want to say I really do appreciate uh, the sponsorship from Rich Club and from the 713 Meetup with Landon and Ray. It uh, does help out a lot and keeps, uh, keeps the podcast moving. And to that end, I'm going to go ahead and ask you to please, if you haven't yet, 
you can hear my voice, please go to iTunes and leave a rating and review. Even if you have an Android, please uh, go to iTunes, leave a, a review, because the more reviews I get, whether they're good or bad, it doesn't matter. If you hate it, that's fine too. I'd personally rather you email me to let me know how I can improve, but please do go to iTunes, leave a review, because the more reviews I get, the more exposure I'll get, the bigger the tribe of lenders, and the more people we can educate on alternative investments and ultimately build a community across this great land of ours uh, that doesn't require banks for realty, for real estate, and real estate investing. That way, it's uh, a community. It's more local. It's more grassroots. And it really is a tribe that we can do local. We're starting here in Houston, but I wanted to branch out all over the country. I know there are people who have no problem lending in other states. And the goal is of this podcast is to, to, to get the reach out there, to get the education out there, to enable all this to happen. Uh, if, you, if you've been on Facebook and you follow Mitch Steven, who I believe was on episode six, he is uh, Mr. Owner Finance and a, another just great guy. But he has been in Washington trying to push forward the owner financing agenda with lobbyists and various representatives. Now, I normally don't like to get political and I really don't like lobbyists, but I, I think in this case, when owner financing and private lending serve so many people, it gives it gives chances to people who aren't quote unquote mortgageable and it helps people have that, that piece of a dream of owning their home. And when banks won't do it, but private individuals will, uh, I think it's only win-win and, and Mitch is certainly fighting the good fight. And you can go to the texas100.org or also you can go to the privatelenderpodcast.com and look at the resources and sponsors. Uh, even though they're not a sponsor, I, I do advertise freely for Mitch and, and his, or his organization so that um, we can get some of the more restrictive laws uh, off the books. And certainly want to keep the regulation there to protect the consumer against predatory lending. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I am an investor, but I, you know, you have to have a heart as well. And anyone who does practice predatory lending should be punished. So let me get that. Just want to get that out there. But Mitch is doing a good job. So please, uh, if you can, donate, help, and push that forward. So speaking of another good guy, let's go ahead and get into the interview with Brant Phillips. With us today is Brant Phillips, a full-time real estate investor, a business owner, business coach, speaker, and best-selling author. He's been featured on Fox News as a real estate expert and hosts local seminars and training events. In addition to Brant's real estate pursuits, he's an active entrepreneur uh, of, a, in a, uh, of a, I screwed that up. <laughs> Excuse me. In addition to. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, um, in addition to Brant's real estate pursuits, he's an active entrepreneur as owner of a coaching and consulting business, a property management company, and also owns a marketing company that helps small business and entrepreneurs to utilize the same strategies he uses in his businesses. One of his companies, Invest Home Pro, was recognized by Inc. 5000 as one of America's fastest growing private companies. Brant, welcome to the Private Lender Podcast. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm, I'm proud to be here. Glad to be here. 
I, I'm, I'm honored to have you. And I, you know, I, I joke around. I say I only bring on slackers, so and underachievers. So that was uh, you've done you've done good for yourself, sir. Uh, and uh, I, I know you're from around the Houston area. And uh, I, again, I'm honored to have you on. Thanks, man. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So a lot of people kind of give us a quick little background. Um, not so much the origin story, but uh, 30,000 foot view of how you started in real estate how you got to where you are today. And, and just to let people know, you are one of the best uh, coaches out there at teaching people not only how to invest, but also about private lending. So I'd like to kind of walk us through that if you could, please. Yeah. So I, I started, uh, bought my first house in 2007 and my kind of, you know, little short story and kind of claim to fame kind of people who know me is that I, like my wife and I were living in an apartment. We didn't have any money because we had just finished off paying student loans and credit cards and all this kind of stuff. And I was working at a, a corporate job that I, I really disliked to, to put it politely. And I decided I wanted to be a real estate investor. So I used, I, you know, got some training, read some books, got some education. And uh, I used that credit card to uh, purchase my first home, like essentially use it for up. Like I got cash from the credit card used as a down payment to buy my first home and went on to buy 10 houses that my first year in 2010. People today hear that and they're like, well, that's incredible. I'm like, yeah, it really wasn't that impressive. 2007, anybody could buy a house. <laughs> so I was able to use my good credit and um, buy 10 homes, 10 investment properties while still working my job. Well, then 2008 came and uh, I had maxed out the loans the banks would give me. So 2008, 2009 is where I really had to roll up my sleeves and, and kind of cut my teeth as a real real estate investor where a lot of you know, other real estate investors were just going out of business because of lack of financing. We were surrounded by deals. It was so easy to get deals then, but you, it was hard to get financing because you couldn't get it from banks anymore. And everyone was afraid of real estate. So I began putting together partnerships. I put together three partnerships in 2008. Uh, to keep buying rental properties. That was my investment strategy then. It is still now, but we flip and do owner financing and things like that. But at the end of 2008, I, I looked at what I'd done and I bought 10 other houses, 10 more houses. So I had 10 or 20 properties. But I was like, well, the partnership thing is good. And I'm, you know, really like my partners and helping them, but I'm having to do twice as much work for half of the, you know, return essentially. So 50 50 type partnership deals. So I'm like, that's, not going to get me closer to my goals, you know, of, of quitting my job, creating wealth and things like that as quickly as I wanted to. So in 2000, early in 2009, I learned about private money, um, learned about private money. I learned about self-directed IRAs and I don't know, like we I had some conversations with people and told them about what we were doing. And we began I say we like me and I had a couple of uh, buddies in the business. So we get, began raising money so we could keep doing what we love and enjoy and what had become my full-time uh, business at that point in time. I left corporate America and uh, started working with private lenders in 2009. And here it is, it's 2018 and uh, still work with most of the lenders that I worked with back then um, in 2009. And we've just continued to raise uh, private money and, and do deals and work with our investors. And, you know, one thing I remember in two, it was a midway through 2009 and I had maybe put together 
you know, five or six uh, deals with private lenders at that point in time. And I still felt myself like being really nervous talking to lenders and, and, and just like having a, a lack of self-confidence, if you will, whenever I was getting on phone calls or going into meetings with private lenders. And, uh, and one day I had a conversation with one of my partners, it wasn't a lender. They were a partner from 2008. And she called me one day and she said, Hey, Brant, she's like, you know, she's like, I wanted to let you know, I was going through my accounts, like my retirement account and the real estate that I bought with you. And she said, I wanted to let you know that, you know, if I hadn't invested with you, I think I'd, I'd be wiped out right now or, or seriously hurting financially. Because what she did was in 2008, the beginning of 2008, which happened to be great, great move on her part. She pulled a lot of her money out of the stock market to invest with me in the real estate. And she was like, she's like, I just, she was very, just very thankful to me, right? Like a lot of gratitude and maybe it, it humbled me a lot. But then it like this light bulb went off, you know, light bulb went off and I'm thinking this is 2009. So the, the stock market is still like, it's, it's on fire still. Right. And so, and then you know, and you're hearing every day in the newspapers line about people just getting wiped out and devastated and losing their jobs. And I'm like, man, like I'm, I'm viewing this whole thing wrong. It's, it's, I've been going in with this mindset of like borrowing or begging someone and it, and it, and it's not that it's like really what we do as real estate investors when we work with private lenders is we have an incredible opportunity, incredible investment opportunity for them to invest locally. We sometimes hear it called socially investing. So they, I'm like, man, I'm buying these houses in our community that's going to, to hire these contractors and buy materials and their property secured by the real estate and they're, and they're, they're getting greater returns than they get at the stock market. I'm like, I just ever since that conversation, my confidence level and just my just self-esteem, whatever it is, increased, but also just like a pride, a sense of pride, if you will, like, no, man, like I'm helping people at the same time and I'm helping my business and my family. So anyways, that was probably a little bit longer you wanted, but that's kind of this, the foundation of where we're at today came from those few years, you know. No, that, 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 it's fine. And, and, and thanks for taking a little longer because I think it's important that, you know, a lot of people see the home and garden TV and flip this, flip that. And it, and people do make it look like it's, it's easy, but um, <clears throat> excuse me, it's, it is a hustle. It is a job. And it, and if it's done the right way, it is to me, the best win, 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 win situation out there. Absolutely. And, and so, um, so no, I, I I do have a couple of just quick follow up questions. I'm curious because um, I don't know this, but what did you do in corporate America? All right, so well, prior uh, to that, uh, <laughs> that's a good start. All right, so <laughs> prior to that, I was in law enforcement for seven years, and that was my I had a criminal justice degree. I went to law enforcement, and I really enjoyed that. Till the last couple of years, I, I can't do politics. I can't, I can't kiss ass and do all the stuff and do unethical stuff. So you know, the last two years I was really battling, like, am I going to fight all the stuff that's going on here or not? And I made up my mind, like, I don't want to devote my life to fighting this kind of stuff, meaning like internal politics and that kind of stuff. 
Right. And then we have my wife and I had our first child. So I was working like weekends, holidays, night shift, blah, blah, blah. So made up my mind to go to corporate America. Um, man, it, it didn't, it felt corporate. That's for sure. But, um, didn't feel like <laughs> Uh, uh, so my, my father-in-law worked for this company it was called Ecolab fortune 500 company. He didn't give me a job, but he got me an interview. So I went for, I went for this interview and the job, the job title was, um, oh shoot, a territory manager. Basically it was like a sales job. And the thought of me doing sales, cause I'm, I'm really a pretty quiet reserved kind of guy. I never sold anything. My wife's background was sales. She's like, you can go into sales. And I'm like, that pretty much sounds like the worst thing in the world. Um, (laughs) But I'm like, you know what? Like, let me just give it a shot. So I go get this job. And so I was a territory manager. I managed accounts. So what did I manage? So I essentially essentially sold dishwashing, uh, detergent, uh, soaps, uh, industrial cleaning chemicals for uh, hospitals in the hospitality hotel industry. And so the funny thing about it was, it depends on who I'm talking to. I'll say, yeah, I had a corporate sales job because that sounds really cool. And I did. But in my, in my corporate sales job, I had a company car, which also had a tool bag uh, and this lab coat that I'd have to slap on and like literally crawl under dish machines if if our dispensing equipment wasn't working properly. And so in one, one setting, I'd be like with the tie on and, and doing the sales call and taking orders. And 10 minutes later, I may be back in their 100 degree kitchen, uh, sweating my you know what off and like crawling around under a wet kitchen floor working on 220 volt electrical wiring. And I knew very little about electrical electricity. So anyways, that was my sales job. So that was, man, it sucked at the time, but I'm so grateful for it because I remember I came home from the very first day and I've got, you know, like I'm, I'm a pretty, you know, kind of wild spirit for the most part, but I, I tame it in, I guess, if you will, leash it up, which a lot of people do, which I don't think is a good thing. But I come home the very first day from my job and my wife's like, you know, happy because I have like this nine to five kind of thing and I'm no longer a police officer. And she's like, you know, babe, how was it? You know, how was your first day in the job? And I like, I remember I'm like telling her, I absolutely hate it. Um, <laughs> I was like, it is not for me. I'm not going to stay here long, but don't worry. I'm going to stay here as long as I need to, I'm going to pay the bills and do what we need to do, but I'm going to find something else. So, you know, I always performed. It was sales. Like I finished number one or number two every year, but I really used that time to motivate me and started researching and reading about real estate, et cetera, et cetera. And it took me several years, like several years. I was conservative the way I did it, went about it. But, um, that was my, my corporate life. Okay, I, I I was always wondering what uh, what what you'd done prior to because I know you've been doing real estate for so long, and that's how I, I met you and, and know of you. So um, interesting. So great background. Uh, I definitely hear I, yeah from law enforcement to crawling around on wet kitchen floors and two twenty volt. That's that can't be fun. Um, so 
was it? But, <laughs> but, so now you, but you, you quickly find out the power of private money. And well, uh, let's back up a little bit. You quickly find out the the conventional banking game of you've got too many loans out. They're not going to give you any more because they're looking at you first and then the property second, basically. So they look at you as an individual, whereas a private lender, it's, I still look at the individual, but I, my first question is what's the property like? You know, like let's, what's it, what's it going to be back? Is it a deal? Uh, what's going to be done to the property and what's the process? Is it going to be turned into a rehab or a flip to sale or a, a, a rental or an owner finance or whatever the case may be? Um, but you know, credit scores aren't so important as uh, track record. So in, in your case, you've got a good track record. You've been doing this for years. Uh, you know, someone could feel just off your name fairly confident. They still need to do their due diligence, but if you could still feel fairly confident with you, uh, given you know your money. And what I like about you as well as when you teach people about private money is is how you're upfront and foremost. Like this is how you stay safe. This is. You know, where this is where you can call me on my BS if I have any. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I know you did a webinar recently and you talked about your non-negotiables, which are non-negotiables are a great title because it's exactly what they are. And you've provided it to the lender already. And so let's just kind of tick off some of those, those, uh, those things on the list. And sure. yeah, you know, number one, closing at a title company. I yeah. always recommend, I know people, you can close out at an attorney's office and you can go get title insurance later, yada, yada, yada. I always tell people close at a title company with title insurance, lender insurance. And uh, if you could uh, speak to that a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, you're saying like, you know, that I'm, I'm a trustworthy guy, my experience, but you know, here's the thing. When, when we work with a new lender, most of my lenders are, they're just like friends and family and come to Christmas parties and other stuff. So that's, you know, that, that, those relationships are solid, but new people come to us and, you know, Hey, I'm checking out, you know, sometimes they come in with a statement like, you know, like they trust me. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, I'll explain to them the process. I've never worked with these people before. I'm like, well, I read about you. I went online and, you know, I trust you. So I jokingly, because we have to disclose all the risks. So I jokingly, I'm like, Hey, I could be the next Bernie Madoff. And so, you know, so they kind of like, what? I'm like, I'm like, well, I'm like, I'm not, but I want you to, I want you to invest with me that way. Meaning like structure it. Like if I'm the next freaking Ponzi scheme going to end up on what's that, uh, on A&E, uh, American greed or whatever it is. Yeah. Like, you know, like, so structure it where I'm that guy, but you're still going to be safe. So that's where, that's where all these things come into play that, that if, if you, if as a lender, that you need to establish some things that are non-negotiable that no matter who you're working with, you are secured. Okay. So yeah, first, first things first is like always close at a title company. Um, I've had lenders offer us like offer to send us money. Like, do I just send you money or how, you know, like, no. And I know lenders who've done that, who've just wired money to an investor, like, never do that. So to me, this is a really simple one is that you always, and I say always close at a title company there. So yeah, just doing attorney closings at their office and things like that. Yeah. There could be some exceptions if you're just refinancing it, you've got a recent title policy or whatever, but like, no, just close at a title company. Um, 
it, that is non-negotiable. And what we do is we give the lenders, we give the lender their own title insurance on each and every deal. And we also have our, our real estate attorney, we have them draw them the docs up in our lender's favor because there's, there's two ways to draw up docs. So we do that in our lender's favor as well, just for added peace of mind security for them. You know, people like, why are you going to, why do you do that? Well, one, we've never not performed on any of our loans that I don't plan on doing that. But in the event that we, if something were to happen to me and we, and we weren't, I, that's the way I want it done. I still want it to be in my lender's favor because what I see is, man, these people, I remember when I first started raising money, it was just, it was really humbling to me. You know, I, I remember coming home and telling my wife, like I've got two or three other investors. She's like, that's great. And I'm like, it is, but I'm like, it's also a little bit overwhelming. Like it's like, I got to do whatever I got to do to make sure that these, these, you know, that their investment is secure. I told my wife, we'll sell the car cars. We'll sell our house. Cause this is several years later to protect them no matter what. And yeah, title company, long question, but title company is non-negotiable. Excellent. That's, I, I preach the same thing. And Again, like you know, one of the reasons to those listening why Brant has a good reputation is that attitude right there. He's gonna take he's gonna do whatever he has to do to keep his lenders safe and secure and get their money back, even if it costs him money or if he has to cut his own throat. That way that lender's gonna keep coming back and know, hey, you know, he, he hit on hard times, but you know what? I got all my money back and I you know, he performed as we, we agreed. And that's very key. And starting at a title company is uh yeah, is, is non-negotiable. So let's um, go down a, a little, a little uh, down. And um, what are some of your other, like your, your other, you know, top three here? We got title company. What's the other, what's the other top two out of those, uh, your three non-negotiables? Well, so from a, from a private lender's perspective, one thing that I'd encourage lenders um, to take to heart is like never invest in something you don't understand. So there's a lot of different types of real estate investments that people can make, you know, for, for sure. But there is a lot of very complex real estate deals that most lenders aren't going to understand that, that I don't even understand. So a non-negotiable for lenders is making sure that you understand what it is that you're investing in. And I think that's why, you know, investing in single family homes is so, uh, you know, such a popular investment for people because it is something that is easy to understand, you know, in terms of, you know, single family rental properties or basic uh, fix and flips is really, uh, it's something that, that people can understand. So, and I encourage them to, if it's something you're interested in investing in, take some time to get educated in that. We're, um, I'm working on, you know, talk to you a little bit about it before, but I'm working on a book right now that's all, it's, the focus is helping private lenders um, understand single family home investing, investing in notes, like investing with guys like you and myself and, and investors, it's making sure that they fully understand it because my investors that understand what we do, it's just, it's a better relationship. Um, they understand it. So it's, it's less lag time on our end to explaining things to them. And, uh, and typically, I mean, 
it's, it's proven the better that you understand something, the more successful that you're going to be in it and less susceptible that you are to, you know, some of these horror stories um, that you hear. So for sure, understand what you're investing in. Um, and this kind of ties into that, but it's another, um, it's another one of the non-negotiables, you know, is, is you, you don't, you don't lend on a deal if the numbers don't make sense. And, you know, one of the chapters of the book is not only, you know, understand the investment and analyzing potential borrowers, but analyzing the deal. So I've seen a lot of lenders like they, you know, they don't really know the definition of a good deal. So I think it's really important to understand what you're investing in, but to know the numbers and have your non-negotiable, like you have a set amount of equity in each deal, right? Like that could be a minimum of 20% equity, meaning if you're a private lender that your investment amount for the purchase price and repairs, your loan to value amount is not going to exceed 80%, for example. Typically, it's not, it's not even going to exceed 75%, and a lot of times it's 70%. One of my mentors, um, who does a lot of lending also, um, I don't borrow from him because I, we're not in agreement on rates and terms. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, he's a 65% guy. That's his non-negotiable. He's like, he's like I will not loan uh, more than 65% on any deal. He's like, if you want to bring your own money, have skin in the game, or if you want to get a second lien, I'm fine with that. But I'm not, I'm first lien position, which is another non-negotiable for most invent lenders. I'm going to loan at 65% period. Like there's, there's no negotiating that. And it doesn't worry you. This is what he tells his borrowers. If that doesn't work for you, that's quite okay because He's in a position where he's like, I don't have to lend my money. And if I do, I'm going to sleep good at night. And if I get a call and I got to take it back, I know I've got plenty of equity. So the reason that's so important, it's so important to have, you know, an adequate amount of equity because that equity, hopefully it never comes into play that you don't have to take a property back, but the equity is essentially oxygen, you know, just like, for us as small business owners, cash flow, having cash in the bank is like oxygen. Whenever the cash is low in the bank, it's like, oh crap, this is hard to breathe. And when you're having a hard time breathing, you don't always make the best decisions. So as a lender, that equity is going to be oxygen to you and give you space and time to breathe and, and figure out the best course of that property or that investment if lo and behold you ever have to take it back so to me that's another extremely important non-negotiable i'm i'm going to give you fair warning and full disclosure brent i'm stealing equity as oxygen that is a, that's a great tagline i probably i man like i probably stole it i stole the cash as like oxygen from somebody else so yeah these ideas are all stolen there's no original ideas these days my friend you know it's like <laughs> no original ideas yeah. I think uh, Einstein said that too. So I stole that. Oh, did he? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Somebody like that said it. That's uh that's great. It, it is. It's true. You know, it's like, man, if you loan on a deal because one, you either didn't know your numbers or you trusted some investor and that you loan a hundred percent or even 80, you know, 80% is not even good. You know, there's some, 
cases for it on some rental properties and things like that. But if, if, a, if a private lender doesn't understand their numbers and let's say they loan at 90% and they're like, well, there's 10% equity, you and I both know just to sell a house, that that's going to cost them 10%. Yeah. Closing costs, like 10% is like nothing. Out the door immediately. Immediately. Yeah. And that's, that's kind of the base because then there's also holding time. Maybe it doesn't sell right away. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and that's, and it's one thing that I, um, I mean, I, I t- the LTV is uh, pivotal. Loan to value is pivotal because that's, as you said, you know, alluded to, that's where your protection is. Mm-hmm. And, and if, you know, I always look at something like, like you gave a great example of, you know, invest with Brant, like thinking like he's Bernie Madoff, what happens? What's the worst case scenario? So I always start with, okay, I have, if I have to take this house back or whatever I'm loaning on, what is it? Is it a, is it a three month disposition? Is it six month? You know, where are we in the market cycle? Is it what what's you know, all, there's a lot of factors that go into play. Like you said, uh, if it's a rental property, maybe you can get it over to a landlord quicker than a retail buyer. But um, if you, you know, it, it to me at, at some point when that uh, when that loan to value starts creeping up, it 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 stops becoming investing, and now you're just speculating. Yeah. Um, and and we saw a lot of that, you know, uh, ten years ago, where oh uh, well, you know, I'm going to loan at eighty five percent because it just keeps going up in value. And guess what? You hit a stall, a market stall, or even a decline, and now you're holding, you're under, you're you're underwater on a quote unquote investment when really you probably been better off putting it on the craps table. Well, maybe that's a little extreme. Maybe not the craps table, but yeah, you, you get my drift anyway. Yeah. And it's not really a, so it's not a non-negotiable to me to say, um, to have multiple exit strategies for the property. This is not a non-negotiable, but I'll tell you our, our investing model, which um, I, I think is, you know, one of the reasons like we've been able to, uh, sustain our business model and thrive, you know, through multiple different market cycles over the last decade is that we, we target properties where we specifically have multiple exit strategies or income streams, however you want to say it, where every, you know, 80% of the deals that we do, we have at least four ways to make money on them at least, which is we can, we can flip them, we can rent, we can do owner financing or we can just wholesale them for quick cash. And that is our business model and that is our focus. So most of the deals that our investors are lending on, if I died or I'm Bernie made off or whatever, um, then if they have to take a, a, a property back, um, well, even if I die, they, they still wouldn't have to, but that's another subject. But the types of properties that we invest in, like they, they have some flexibility with them, meaning like our houses on average are $150,000 investment. You know, we, we invest in, in housing that, you know, that, you know, the workforce of America buys, right? Like median income housing and slightly below that is really what we like. We like the dinosaurs, the, you know, 1500 322s that we're getting for $100,000 that are hard to find these days because you have a lot of options with them. And, and so that gives lenders flexibility as opposed to you're investing some in some speculative uh, million dollar, you know, high end home where when the market tanks or just stagnates for a while, like you're stuck like Chuck, especially like in Houston with oil and gas being like it is like, it's really hard to move a lot of these high end homes. It just is. And 
we do some of that investing, especially after Harvey, but only to a certain extent. We actually use equity participation mortgages to essentially partner with our lenders on those. Um, but that's that's a whole other topic. Uh, I'll definitely get you on the show and we'll talk equity participation uh, at, a, at, a, at a future date because that is definitely uh, a topic that I yeah. think deserves its own uh, deserves its own show. Um, so you know, I, I like the I like the like I said the multiple streams, multiple exit strategies, and and I think as a lender, it's wise to look at that as well. Not only what the investor is going to do, but as a lender, if you have to take it back, what what you know what is what would I do with it? What would I try to just sell it quickly, you know, uh, rent it out myself, you know, or perhaps owner finance it. And the other thing I like to see is when an investor comes with, you know. A, B, C, and D. Now, this is the order of the exit strategy. If, if A doesn't work, we'll go to B. It, I, I also I question it sometimes because, okay, great. Well, we'll just go get a bank to finance you out. All right. You already have a bank that's willing to do that right now. Mm-hmm. You know, do, you have, do you have the relationships established? And I've found that by only lending to people who do have, I'm saying that's not a guarantee because the bank's going to want to do everything, but I can pick up the phone and call uh, private or a mortgage bank or a banker from an investor, um, and I'll give you a prime example. Chris Funk, you know, I've, I've loaned to him, and the the whole thing was like, we're going to do six months, and then I'm going to refi you out. I'm yeah. like, great, you got a great reputation, but how do I know you can refi me out at at six months? And so I called the banker, and he's like, yeah, no, we're we're good. Yeah. He's like, we don't, you know, the bank won't allow the loan money to acquire that property because it's in too bad a condition. But once it's fixed up, you know, the the bank will loan an eighty percent all day long. So yeah. I was like, okay, fine. So um, yeah. it, it, it helps to show some forethought on the, on, the, on the side of the investor. And it also is just part of, part of my due diligence as a lender. And, mm-hmm. um, and, you know, and this is some, you know, like yourself or Chris, they, you know, years of experience. Um, and I always tell people like, you know, their uncle wants to flip a house. I'm like, great. I can give you a couple of hard money lenders that'll really walk them through it. Yeah. You know, and, and we, we, we don't know who they are, but there, there are some really good ones out there. Yeah, they're expensive, but they're expensive for a reason. Yeah. You know, and as a private lender, again, you want to stay away from speculation, you know, and keep it into the investing realm. So yeah. I like that. And those are the, the, four, um, the four exit strategies that I, I tend to look for. And if anything gets any more creative than that, I get, I get a little skeptical on, on what, yeah. this, what that person's doing. So yeah. anyway, um, so you... Um, any other uh, non-negotiables? Uh, we, we, can, we can hold them back for another time, or if you want to you know, throw out another little nugget, uh, feel free. Some things that um, for people to consider and, and make their own decisions, it's, it's you know, one quick thing kind of tying into all that. It's like if you're going to do an investment, you know, think about the property in that light where if I had to take this back, am I going to be excited to own this property? property and and to handle the mess that may have been left or just take over the property meaning you're excited with the equity you're excited about the type of property it is and things like that you know there's some good vibes with the deal and the property and the number so be excited about it um so that's that's one thing um another thing that comes to mind is about you know i get this a lot about should i a loan to friends and family because that's where a lot of this, when people start, that's where they, they go. They talk to friends or family members. And a lot of people say absolutely like, no, period. Like you shouldn't loan to friends or family members. And, um, and that they make that a non-negotiable. I, I don't see it that way. So I borrow 
borrowed from, I had um, a cousin, like a distant cousin that invested with me uh, in the very beginning. And so that was cool and everything worked out great. So she, she partnered with me. So that, that was great. So I don't really see it that way. You know, a kind of a, a calculation you can work through in your mind is like, if, you know, if I were to loan to this person for considering it and something went wrong and I had to foreclose on this person, you know, would the relationship be damaged forever? You know, that's what a lot of people say. And, and then that's kind of like, you know, if it's going to ruin the relationship forever, if something goes wrong, then you probably shouldn't do it. And then I'll say, well, it kind of depends. Like, are you okay losing that relationship? And people are like, maybe I am. So it's like, <laughs> make your decision but you know you see a lot of like i don't like throwing a blanket answer on that because you see a lot of you see a lot of like family companies that have uh like been you know incredibly successful so there's exceptions to every rule look at look at your family member like uh like what is their track record what is their experience and and really like make a good business decision on that so i don't know if it if, if you throw a blanket, um, you know, answer over that right away. And um, I don't know, man, I can go on and on, you know, uh, so you got to tell me. I- okay. Well, to, to touch on that blanket statement, I do throw blanket statements out there and it's not mine. It came from Quest IRA, but it's, you know, never lend to somebody you're not going to be comfortable foreclosing on. Yeah. So like you said, if, if that relationship goes to pot and you're okay with it and you got to foreclose on them, fine. But if it's going to make Thanksgiving, yeah. really awkward, you know, and, yeah. and to touch on your old profession, you know, if the, if the law has to get called because, you know, two cousins uh, got involved in a bad deal, um, you know, maybe you shouldn't loan to them or, or do, you know, do the deal with them. And like you said, that's, that's a personal decision. Yeah. But for me, it's, it's a non-negotiable or, or, or a pillar in lending for me is, yeah, don't lend on to somebody that you're not comfortable foreclosing on. So if, you know, my sister, for example, um, I would never loan to her because it's going to make Thanksgiving really weird, yeah. you know, and you know, it's, it's or Easter or whatever. So it's, um, I, I agree. Like it, it's, it's, there's not a blanket statement, but to me it is a blanket. Like, no, this is, this is non-negotiable. You have to decide this mm-hmm. right up. You know, that's part of your due diligence. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, and that's, it's, that's a part of the beauty of, I mean, yeah, I, the people I loan to, I do consider them friends, but a lot of them I've met through real estate first. And became friends. Yeah. So, but and, but they know the game, you know. And you know, there's 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 more than just foreclosure. There's deed and lieu, and you know, all these other things and other exit strategies, contingencies. But and um, like, it's just, you know, it's it's a really it's a depends thing on it for everybody, and depending on their personality. Like I have, you know, I've I've hired family members. Like I have one of my family members works for me right now, and um you know, that's similar to that. You know, I've got to keep, you know, we have uh, had to have conversations, you know, before I hired her and, and I have to treat her like everybody else, you know, and whenever there's discipline that needs to take place, like I just, I have to do that. And, um, and that's the thing is like, if you loan to a friend or family member, yeah, if it's going to make holidays and things like that awkward or something goes bad, but also you got to ask yourself if something like goes bad, are you going to be able to really still 
act and think like a business person, because like one of the things that you should always do as a lender is if a borrower fails to perform, meaning they don't make a payment, it's really important that you take immediate action. And so I could see people that they loan to a friend or family member and someone, you know, has some issues, they might give them a little bit of time and and not really treat them like a, like just a, like a, like a, a bank would treat a lender. Right. Well, that's probably a bad example because banks let people get away with crime these days. But, uh, you know, just ask yourself, are you going to be able to take immediate action if this loan goes, you know, if they default, if they don't perform, and if you can, then great, go for it. But if not, don't really sweat it because there's, there's more deals available for there's so many deals available for lenders and there's so many lenders available for borrowers so to me it's like you really there's a bigger pool to go fishing in than just with friends and family members quite honestly absolutely and and you know why you know if if it's not a friend or family member you know that they come to me with puppy dog eyes and say come on man sorry we have an agreement you know and at that point i'm wells fargo i'm bank of america you know like this is this is how it is. This is the risk that I took and this is the risk that, you know, and I'm going to follow through and uh, give me the house back right now or, you know, we can go through the foreclosure process and it'll cost you more, you know, um, whatever. So, um, that, but that, that's a, that's a good point. So tell me, tell us a little more about this, uh, the book, what's the title of your book that's going to be coming out soon? So it's called the private lender playbook. And, um, yeah, so it's, it is, uh, an, an A to Z for the most part, um, step-by-step overview. Uh, it's going to, it's going to be really great for people, especially for newbies, someone who's never done this before and people, maybe they've done a few deals, but they, they don't really fully understand what it is that they're investing in or, you know, what to do if something goes wrong or how to, how to structure things and how to analyze, how to even analyze a deal or how to analyze a borrower you know, what are, why it's so important to, um, you know, close at a title company and, and the different types of insurance and just kind of, it, it, it walks them through the entire process. And then, you know, I mentioned Nathan Long before we started the call, at least I mentioned Nathan Long's contributing a few chapters about, you know, using your self-directed IRA to, to become a, a lender because majority, I don't have an exact percentage, but a majority of our our investors are, you know, they're investing from their from their IRA, and more so than cash. So that's really important. So we added some some chapters to um, to that in the book. Um, you know, just different things like showing them how the process works, how to de- determine rates and fees, and long term versus short term. You know, we get into a little conversation about the tortoise and the hare in the book, you know, that's uh pretty powerful actually. So that's, that's what it's all about. And, um, touch on foreclosure a little bit, just a little bit of everything to give them a basic, um, you know, broad view understanding of, of this whole business. Cause I've just seen that where a lot of lenders don't really understand, um, the business, even what they're investing in. So this makes them much, much more equipped to uh, make wise decisions, you know. Excellent. And how, uh, I know it's not out yet. So how can people find out about this book when it, uh, when it comes out? Where, where can they go? What's your website? 
the best thing is to do is just go to my uh, to my website, which is brantphillips.com. Uh, brantphillips.com. Uh, if they're signed up to our email list, they're going to get um, notified whenever the book comes out. And I th- we're penciling in a June first release for the book. Okay. So Brent, and this information will be on the show notes page. So if you're you're driving in your car and listening, uh, don't worry. Just go to uh, the Brant Phillips show notes page, and um, you can go to find his website there. And also more information. Brant holds a massive REI or RIA meeting, a meetup group, uh, once a month. So tell us a little bit about that. You've been a little too modest. I want I want I want the listeners to hear about that. All right. So yeah. So the f- the first Wednesday of every month, we have a meetup here in the Houston area. And it's called, you can go to reaction.com. It's reaction with an I in there. It's reiaction.com for real estate investing action.com. And uh, that's the first Wednesday of every month. Uh, this month, I'm, I'm really excited. We've got Steve Davis, uh, formerly of Lifestyles Unlimited, it's coming out to speed. So Steve was like one of my first mentors when I got started 10 or 11 uh, years ago. And so I'm really excited to have him come out. He's, he's just a great guy. And not only is he a great guy, he's done a, he's been an incredible investor uh, since he started. I think when he was in his late twenties, he's owned thousands and thousands of doors through apartments. I don't know how many single family homes he's owned, but he's a great guy, a uh, local guy to our area. And he's going to come out and share. Um, uh, he's going to come out and share about, essentially his talk is about from, from uh, middle-class to millionaire and just kind of some of the mind shift, mind shift changes and, and shifts that need to take place in order to, to get out of the middle class and into like the millionaire kind of, you know, abundance lifestyle mentality. Yeah. I, I, I signed up as soon as I heard he was going to be there. So but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty cool. We, you know, Hunter, uh, you heard he's coming. Yeah, as soon as I heard he was coming, I signed up. I was like, I'm, I'll be there. Yeah, it's it's going to be a great event. We try to make every month a great event. Uh, we have fun. We keep it loose. We keep it real. And we keep it like action focused. Like it's not a bunch of like sales pitchy BS kind of stuff as you see with a lot of these groups. Um, we, we just we keep it real. We keep it raw, like trying to get a focus on helping people create results, take action. And we have, we have fun with it too. It's at like this modern day honky tonk place. And we've got, you know, we have food and we have drinks and we, we network and, you know, have drinks and hang out and talk and, and, uh, that's it, man. It's like the, the monthly networking thing to me is like, it's critical for entrepreneurs because if you're just, if you're on an Island as an entrepreneur and even as a lender, you know, maybe things don't go your way. You're not getting good deal flow one month or a deal goes bad or whatever. When I first started investing, I was, I was incredibly active at networking because I found that, that going and getting plugged in every month around, you know, my peers and other people in the business was, I would get like a little, like a little nitrous oxide shot, like a little turbo boost some months. Cause some months it was hard. It was a grind and I'd be down, but I talked to a buddy of mine who, you know, like hit on some good deals or whatever, gave me a little marketing tip instead of a little, be a little boost in my engine, man. I go out and, and, and get to work. And then some months I'd be coming in like, and I'm on cloud nine cause I was just like crushing it. And then my buddy's like a little bit down cause whatever 
problem he was dealing with because we're always dealing with problems. But, you know, I maybe give him a little little boost because something's going good in my business. And then it's just it's the energy. So we try to create really good energy there to, to motivate people like one of my, you know, my personal mission uh, statements is to like to motivate, educate, inspire and equip people to take action. Right. And lead by example. So that's what we try to do there. That's it. It's it's a good it's a great meetup and um it yeah it is at a honky tonk so if if you catch us there um I will make sure Brant gets on the mechanical bull before the night's over so uh. hey, hey, well, let's, see, let's we'll wait and see about that I'll <laughs> the bull I have rode the bull but we'll uh, I don't do it every month only special occasions we'll wait until they close the bar and then we'll then we'll do it but, there, uh, it's there and and ready. Well, Brant, I want to uh, thank you for coming on and sharing uh, your wisdom and, and your time with us today. It is your most valuable asset uh, with, with Lender Nation. And again, I I'll definitely want to have you on again in the future. Uh, and, and I wish you a prosperous investing and uh, all the best. Thanks, man. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Take care. All right. That's going to do it for today's show. I want to thank Brant for coming on and giving a great interview. And I would like to invite you to go to learn more about Brant. Just go to brantphillips.com, or you can also go to his meetup webpage. It's reiaction.com, and be on the lookout for his book, The Private Lender Playbook, if you want to learn more. Also, please visit privatelenderpodcast.com slash sponsors, and click on 713 Houston Area Real Estate Networking to learn more about them. Also, there is a 25% off discount when you purchase your Quest IRA Expo tickets through the website, click on the link. Uh, the Expo is August 25th and 26th in Dallas, and I will see you there. Also, the Rich Club Realty Investment Community of Houston, and then the Texas100.org that I spoke of earlier. So I hope everyone is doing well. I hope the late spring, early summer, at least for us down here in Texas, hope it's going well for everybody. And if you have any questions, please just shoot an email to info at privatelenderpodcast.com and I will catch you on the next episode. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Private Lender Podcast with your host, Keith Baker. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit privatelenderpodcast.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and review and we'll catch you next time.